Welcome to the Side Talks podcast. My name is Corey Kraft. I'm a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival, and I'm your co-host for this podcast covering all things cinema. And I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. So, Corey, what are you watching right now? As we're recording this, this weekend saw the release of John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. The uh, oh. third, well, but this is not the film I'm going to talk about. <laughs> okay. This is a, this is an elaborate setup. Good, I'll put my blanket up. Um, I, I like the John Wick movies. Chapter three was a bit of a disappointment to me. Um, kind of redundant uh, at long last after the, the elegant simplicity of, of chapter one and the natural extension of chapter two. <laughs> um, but... Uh, one thing that you could say about the John Wick movies in particular, Chapter 3, is that they are gun crazy, which inspired me to check out the 1950 B-movie film noir of the same name, Gun Crazy, uh, a movie I hadn't seen before, but I'd heard so many good things about over the years, starring John Dahl and Peggy Cummins. Uh, John Dahl is a sharpshooter in the Army who gets out of service and meets another sort of uh, carnival-performing sharpshooter woman who coerces him into a life of crime, as femme fatales often do. And it's called Gun Crazy. It's called Gun Crazy. Which is a really great name. It's a great name for a great movie. Uh, Gun, Gun Crazy was directed by Joseph H. Lewis, um, not a director I was very familiar with, but I was struck watching this movie and how creative and visually interesting it was for a very, very low-budget noir from, from 1950. It's probably most famous for a centerpiece single-take shot, shot from the back seat of the getaway car as it drives up to the bank, lingers outside, and then drives away. All told, I think it's like a four-minute shot, which for nice. the time is pretty cool. I mean, it was it was really well done. And also kind of notable because young uh, Russ Tamblin as a uh, little baby teen shows up at the beginning in a little prologue as John Dahl's character as a boy. It's an excellent movie. Really, really well done. Certainly more satisfying as a uh, study in America's obsession with guns than John Wick Chapter 3. And maybe just more satisfying all around than John Wick. Yeah. I mean, I really like those movies, but Chapter 3 kind of spun its wheels a little bit. Not to say it doesn't totally rule, because it does, but oh, it also kind of doesn't. What's the runtime? Four and a half hours? Something like that. Yeah. That's what I'm really tired of. Extended movies? Well, and also like extended movies that are, you know, have gun sequences in them where I'm just like, oh my gosh, can it be over soon? That is all that John Wick is. Great. Well, let me move on to what I've been watching, Okay. which, <laughs> I mean, let me just go ahead and say, just as much of a sigh as I made for John Wick, I'm making it for this, quite unfortunately. Uh-oh. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double it up. So I watched Book Club, mm-hmm. and I watched Wine Country. I watched 45 minutes of Wine Country, yeah. which should tell you what I thought of it. But, you know, it doesn't really get better. Mm. So, uh, and I mean, you can see the connection between these sure. two films, right? Pretty much like uh, all-female cast, certainly some men in behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, Book Club is sort of directed by a man and co-written by a man, mm. supposedly co-written by a woman, even though I'm a little like, oh, I mean, I'm not really sure 
you know, what happened there. And then, of course, Amy Poehler directs Wine Country. So just sort of starting out with Book Club. And let me just be fair and tell you that I, uh, very similar to what you're saying, I made it through 20 minutes, and then I fell asleep for 20 minutes. And then I woke up and I watched another 20 minutes. It's, you know, it's one in the morning. So I mean, I'm, that's my that's kind of my excuse. Sure. But the film has no excuse. And so I think I watched probably 40 minutes of this thing in totality. And it's it's pretty terrible. But uh, I should have known by let me just read to you the uh, the synopsis for mm-hmm. this. Or four lifelong friends. I'm on board. I like it, okay. especially with those women who are who are you know taking the reins there. Like that, have their lives forever changed? Okay, that's what movies often do. After reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh huh. So this is Diane Keaton as sort of the lead of this ensemble. I think is that's that right? fair. Yeah. And, 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 and who else? And then there's Jane Fonda, and then there's Candace Bergman, and then there's uh, Mary uh, Steenburgen. Am I saying her name right? Steenburgen. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a good cast. It's a great cast. Why are we wasting this cast on on basically they read Fifty Shades of Grey? You know, there's a movie in theaters right now in which um, Diane Keaton plays like a like a senior citizen cheerleader. Palms. Is that what's called? Yeah. Yeah. What what sounds better? Uh, book club. Actually sounds better. As a matter of fact, uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll take my mom to see Palms. And I play the trailer of Palms for my mom. She's like, eh, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm good. And that's like, that is their target audience right yeah, there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But Book Club's not good. I pretty much summed it up. I mean, you also have Don Johnson in this thing. Um, you also have Andy Garcia. You know, there's a, there's a scene where, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this without being X-rated, but there's a scene, um, this might be worth some folks' time, maybe ping an interest out there, where Diane Keaton accidentally sort of sizes Andy Garcia on the plane. Is that a fair way of saying that? Um, gropes. Um, I see. I don't know. I mean, he liked it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seemed to like it. So way more than I liked this film. So I'll <laughs> leave it at that. Um and then, un- quite unfortunately, Wine Country, this movie should be good. Why the hell is this movie not good? Anytime, my, my whole going into this, I'm like, look, anytime Amy Poehler and Tina Fey get together and do anything, it's really funny. Yeah. And whether that's handing somebody an award or walking down the damn street or making a movie. But this is not really funny. It has some moments. Mm-hmm. Overall, uh, and I enjoyed it. Like, I, I, I mean, I was entertained. I'm not upset by watching it. But, Yeah. Roger Ebert once had a quote in a review where he said that that watching this cast have like lunch together, you know, between takes would probably be more entertaining than the movie was. Right. And Wine Country felt like the ultimate example of that. I like literally everybody involved with this movie. Why is this falling so flat? Yeah, it's a good question. And again, moments, but those moments do not add up to being worth anybody's time. No. And I hate to say that because, again, here are two films with stellar cast. And I guess I'm just left kind of thinking, like, why aren't these women getting sort of better work? And I mean, maybe there is no real excuse for wine country, um, except that maybe they didn't get the support they needed. I don't know. I don't know. But I'd like to see all this entire cast of both these films do better work. Yeah. And I that's would too. what I was watching. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. All right, so, Corey, are you ready for a five-minute fight? Let's do this, Rachel. And I have a feeling, um, well, I'm, I'm going to get impassioned about this one. So let's start the clock. Um, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> the uh, actor-director 
uh, one of the most important, and I will go out and say that immediately, uh, American film directors of his generation Gross. currently working. Um, you have a weird, hateful thing. For it's Clint not Eastwood. weird, man. It's not really. That it's weird. not weird. Um, I don't like Clint Eastwood. I don't like him as an actor, and I like him less as a director. Okay, you're out of your mind. Uh, and here's why. Uh, Eastwood is the closest thing we have to an old school Howard Hawksian auteur working in Hollywood. Uh, he makes straightforward movies that are all about men at work in that traditional Hawksian way. And, uh, from, I don't know, like his, his recent movies, which have been varying in quality, notwithstanding, this is a guy who gets in, does the job professionally and gets out and makes one interesting movie, even if it's not always successful after another. No. No. I mean, he's the worst. He's the worst director. I don't like him. There are a couple of films that I do like by him, so let me get those out of the way, because I'm not going to argue. You're going to love which ones I like. Okay. Any Which Way But Loose, because there's a monkey in it. It's not even a monkey, right? It's an orangutan. Is it chimpanzee or orangutan? It's it's an orangutan. orangutan. Okay. The zoo's going to be calling if anybody's listening. And yes, I love Clyde. That film is really, really good. I like him in that. Um, That pretty much sums it up. Uh, That is the most predictable answer you could have Okay, wait, 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 wait. I liked Escape from Alcatraz as a kid. That was a seven-year-old favorite. I don't don't know what was wrong with me as a seven-year-old, but I did like Escape from Alcatraz. Other than that, it's all crap. And I told you, like, I really want to, like, be on the staff writer uh, staff writer for SNL because I want to do the skit where it's um, Clint Eastwood and what's his D what's the other guy in the in Million Dollar Baby Morgan Freeman and Morgan Freeman in, in that little office and they're both skeletons and they're like don't don't let her fight I I just hate him so much and that's like every, every time I look at him I just see a skeleton being like I'm angry and I'm grumpy and I'm old so well, he's born in 1814. Yeah, I mean, he is angry and grumpy and old, uh, but he makes compelling movies about what it means to be angry and grumpy and old. Um, the no. Mule from last year is really, really good. Uh, I'll, no. I'll go to bat for that. Um, but also, I mean, he's made a series of movies about, again, professionalism at the moment, men who are good at their jobs from... Yeah, you know what I don't need to see? A film about men who are good at their jobs. So let me just, let me just, let's, there's no way we can, I can take every one of these films down at a time. Sure. But let's start with one of the worst. Okay. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. He destroys this book. It's riddled with continuity errors. He's really, really terrible at his job. The performances are weak. He's a bad director. Well, okay, so you picked an example of a famously not very well-regarded movie that I haven't seen, so I can't rebut okay. that. Obviously, okay. he is uneven. But let me uh, let me throw back at you a couple movies that are excellent. Uh, okay. Okay? Unforgiven, his masterpiece. Uh, uh, the best American revisionist Western. Yeah. Uh, as okay. an actor, of course, he's the man with no name. You can't beat that. Sure. If you like Westerns that haven't really done anything to push the genre forward and you are able to stay awake longer than the average person, you might like Unforgiven. I'm speechless at that. You've, okay. You've Throw taken another away one my way. Throw- <laughs> my capacity for speech. Oh, my God. Throw another one um, my way. Oh, I'm just so angry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Outlaw Josie Wales from the 1970s. Yeah, same really, category. Another excellent Western. Uh, that does push the genre forward eh. in some really interesting ways. Uh, I would throw out Sully. 
I know you're going oh, to yeah. laugh at we're me about too, okay, I've got the Sully, Sully mania. Where two evils come together to form a more perfect evil. Nobody what? needed that oh, film. Oh, yeah, Tom Hanks. That's yes, right. You've that's got that right. Weird thing Nobody. Too. Oh, look at these two coming together. Um, birds, though. Birds. Um, and Sully. And it's a Sully uh, reference. Me and a couple other people. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, everybody who's got that Sully I'm fever. I'm going to land this plane. Gonna, well, he did, <laughs> damn it. And he saved everybody. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> The two people who are not saving anything cinematic make a film about a man who saves people's lives via a plane. This argument is not going the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> do you um, want to bring up Million Dollar Baby? I kind of do. She's going to, I don't want her to fight. A movie I that wanna. I really liked when I was 18 and haven't really seen since. Oh, it's um, bad. Well, The performances are weak. Once again, he, dire- he directed so. I, that too, right? I, so. Yes, he did. I think he's. Uh, oh, Clint Eastwood. Sam. Sam's going to come in here and just like <laughs> rip me to pieces because I can't come back against uh, actually unforgiven is bad. That just, you, you threw me off my rhythm. <laughs> I'm just so worked up about that. Uh, Corey said he is one of the most important filmmakers slash actors slash directors and there is just no way there are so many before him on that list i agree with rachel he is just kind of the worst and we don't also need to see more films about men who are good at their jobs that's pretty much every movie seemingly and to me he's like the the darkest timeline or the upside down version of tom hanks like he does the same thing in every movie whether he's acting or directing but it gets literally as old as he is So Rachel gets 100 points for somehow making Corey at a loss for words, which is something I never thought would actually happen when Corey's talking about Clint Eastwood. So I think Clint Eastwood should win an Oscar for that time he talked to an empty chair on whatever award show that was. Um, That was his best performance, I think. And then probably just a few points to Corey for that one specific time at Rojo, one of our sidewalk events. He does the kind of like hey kid look and i look over and he pulls the blu-ray of the mule out of his backpack and just kind of slips it back in and i kind of look around and so from then on i knew that Corey would never become speechless talking about clint eastwood but it happened so rachel wins this one boom it is time for my favorite segment what's this shit and I would like to say, Corey, while you're laughing at my singing, that um, I, I think it's a good time. We're on episode seven now. So uh-huh. it's a good time to sort of stop and pause for a minute. And let me give you some props and also sort of refresh what what's this shit is all about. Okay. So I go to this gym and the gym, there's a big screen and treadmills and stage bikes and all kinds of other workout equipment that I don't get on in this what used to be a, a cinema room, right? It used to be a theater. And so I'll go in there and they have a movie on. And oftentimes, clearly when I'm working out i'll go in the movie could be 45 minutes in it could have just started it could have just ended who knows but i'm catching just a few minutes of it and whoever programs the stuff tends to program as you might guess action films and i mean i'm gonna tell you the most basic basic action films that you can imagine well basic action films are my specialty yes and so i'm gonna tell you what i'm seeing on the screen that's fully out of context of the film, and you're going to tell me what film it is. And I, and I did get a question. We've gotten a question now. Uh-uh. And that was, does Corey not just go off and do a little IMDb search and come back? I mean, that literally was a question. And I'm like, no, that's the whole purpose of this, what's this shit, is that you actually have an encyclopedic knowledge of 
movies of all kinds, including shitty ones. That's so, right. That's so right. You, this is just my bad brain, right? everybody. This is just off of the cuff, as they say. So here is what was playing when I went in. All right. Okay. I walk in and on the screen is a close-up of a football helmet with uh, a cigarette hanging out of the mouth of the person wearing the football helmet. And then very quickly, we see the man, the legend, one of my personal heroes, the one and only Burt Reynolds. Okay. And so then there's a whole scene where somebody gets racked with a football, mm-hmm. as, as I guess can happen. And they cut to the audience. And in the audience, there's a kid wearing a black flag t-shirt, which is one of the most ridiculous things. To, I mean, I don't think that kid was ever watching a football game in his life. But he reacts you know, very intensely to the, to the person being racked. And then I see Adam Sandler. Oh, okay. Well, obviously, when you say football helmet and Burt Reynolds, what comes to mind but The Longest Yard, and this is The Longest Yard remake from 2005 ah. that stars Adam Sandler. I think Chris Rock is in it, too, and Reynolds, of course, shows up in a small role or a cameo. I'm pretty sure I have seen this movie. I don't remember a thing about it other yeah. than it was probably very bad. It, it was bad, not memorable. There is one little scene where they somebody, I guess, I don't know what's going on. There's antics on the football field, and they roll a football towards a group of dudes standing in their football uniforms, mm-hmm. and they all fall over like bowling pins. It's And antics, I thought right? if football was like that, roll tide, I'd watch it. <laughs> and now, fast film terms. So it's time for fast film terms. All right, lay it on me. Okay, so, uh, Corey, what's an adaptation? Well, an adaptation, um, from a screenwriting perspective, is um, uh, a take, uh, I'm trying not to use the word adaptation in my definition here, on uh, previously published material, a novel, a short story, a play, uh, a television series, any of the other things that we adapt into films these days, though, though these days it's mostly comic books, I think, uh, the screenwriter will take the source material and uh, translate that uh, to some degree, um, whether in whole or in part, into a screenplay, um, visualizing certain elements, of course, as screenwriters do uh, for this new medium. Yes, and they have to clear the rights for that. So just because you read a book called Gone with the Wind that you liked a lot doesn't mean you can just go write that screenplay. Wait, is there, is there already a Gone with the Wind movie? What? Never heard of it. I'm going to have to rethink my life. So next up for fast film terms, gaffer's tape. Well, that's just duct tape, isn't it? No, it's not just duct tape at all. As a matter of fact, we've talked previously about what a gaffer is, and to be really reductive, they're an electrician on the set of a film. Uh So gaffer's tape is special tape for a gaffer, but you can also buy it on any of these, you know, big market (laughs) retailers online. And it is a special sort of fabric-based tape, and it's really kind of cool. I actually always keep a roll of it around the house. Um, because because it's fabric-based, you can rip it. Uh-huh. So unlike duct, duct tape, which you have to take and sort of either get scissors or use, you know, break a tooth, this just rips very easily. Oh. Um, and it also is uh, supposedly doesn't, you know, pull paint off the wall or hurt a, damage a floor, even though I've got some paint por- pulled off my wall from gaffer's tape. But uh, I was, you know, user <laughs> error. So now it's time for Cal's Corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. Hi, I have a film festival tip for you. 
Um, going to film festivals is really, really fun. Um, but it can be exhausting, especially when you're like uh, getting up early, going to see screenings all day, feeling compelled to go to like parties and stuff where you network and meet other filmmakers and talk to them about screening your festival and stuff like that. Um, so there's one of the, one of the funnest things to do at a film festival, keeping all this in mind, is when you you kind of decide to stay in for the night, whether you're at a hotel and you're watching TNT and some movie comes on or or if you're staying at someone's house and you're just like, come on, let's just go rent a movie or something. Let's just not go downtown. Let's not go to the festival. That is actually, that that is one of the best ways to relax and just really, it, it reminds you how much you really enjoy watching movies. Um, so I'm no stranger to doing that. And it's really cool in towns like like Austin where they have really great video stores where you can just, uh, um, I don't know, you, you, the, the world is your oyster there. So... Um, one time, this was probably about like eight years ago, I was at South by Southwest visiting, well, I was at, I was at South by Southwest, but I was staying with a friend of mine and, um, we had been doing, he, he had been driving me if I wasn't taking the bus and I was riding with him downtown. And, um, we, we had that moment that let's just, let's just stay in at his apartment. And, um, we ended up watching uh, Pedro Almodovar's this is it the skin I live in Corey yes Corey says yes um, which was quite good and what but it was about like I don't know 20 minutes into the movie he's like hey I have some mushrooms in my freezer do you want to take any and I was like um, uh, well, yeah I haven't taken any in a long time but I think I've, I think I'm in a pretty good place so yeah why not and so um, it took like a very modest amount, nothing, you know, it was somewhere above a micro dose and, uh, and somewhere below a, a maximal dose. And, um, and so I would say it was mostly towards the end of the movie that it started kicking in, but it was, uh, it, it was pretty exhilarating and fun and all. But so when that movie ended, um, it was, the question was, okay, what next? Are we just going to go like walk around outside and stuff or, or what? And, I was, uh, I noticed he had on his shelf a movie I had seen before that um, I I held um, in, a, in a very weird, special place in my heart, not because it's great, um, but mostly because it's kind of like a, a train wreck disaster, but also because this is in, th- this is a 3D Blu-ray and I'd never watched a 3 3d movie at someone's home because uh, they had like the whole glasses get up and all and so um so we started watching prometheus and um it was already a great idea just from the start now prometheus if you don't know that's the um that's ridley scott's really strange attempt to make a, a another movie in the alien universe um this one would take place um uh, I don't know, decades or a hundred years before the events of the original masterpiece Alien, and um, it was um, it was widely panned uh, when it came out, and it it really doesn't share much tone wise from the original Alien, but it's really funny um, if you look at it through a certain lens. So um, we were really cracking up pretty heavily. We're, we're on that kind of feeling where just everything is funny. And um, I decided, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we turned the TV onto that smooth motion feature? Uh, the one that I hate so much, the one that I like have literally gotten remote controls from bars and changed their TV settings. Um, 
in order to not watch a movie this way? Well, it's really fun to watch a movie that's um, CGI special effects heavy in this. Uh, I first discovered this when I was at a... Um, uh, it was like an audiovisual store. It wasn't Circuit City, but it was a it was a place that was showing um, Avatar. In that, they hadn't changed their TV specs, and it made Avatar look like the junkiest movie you'd ever seen in your life. It made the CGI look like it was like a like from like a demonstration laser disc of like what CGI could look like in the future. So that's how we watched Prometheus. Um, it was. Uh, it was probably the the best way to see that movie, but also I actually think I truly understand that movie um, from that particular viewing. And I've I, I uh, it it has strangely it has a lot to do with um, like uh, it it suggests that they sent. Um, Jesus Christ to Earth, that these intelligent aliens from uh, from another galaxy sent Jesus Christ to our Earth in order to like save our people. And then uh, our people crucified him, and so uh, they're now um, we're preparing to wage war um, on Earth, uh, sending a spaceship to to deal with Earth. So um, that uh, I don't know. It's maybe maybe this is a great way to watch movies. Maybe it's not. I, I would at least recommend walking around in the woods or something like that if you're going to take mushrooms. But um, that said, um, this is Kyle McKinnon, and this is Film Festival Tips. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of Side Talks. We have a lot of folks to thank for producing this episode. For one, the amazing Batwell Studios, who makes us sound good. And as I always say, that is a really, really hard thing to do, especially Corey. Um, And then, of course, Splash 96 for our amazing music. This is your own personal uh, Ryan Seacrest and uh, Dunkelman, which only, by the way, 2% of listeners of our 25 listeners will get that. I don't get it, so... You can also check us out on social media um, at Sidewalk Film on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, probably a couple other things. Check us out there for updates on the upcoming Sidewalk Film Festival, along with all of the other fun events we have every month here in Birmingham. Uh, Make sure you follow us and give us a a rating and a review on iTunes. Your uh, ratings and reviews help people know that the show exists we'd like more than 25 listeners if at all possible thanks dunkelman (laughs) batwell studios podcast division your words our expertise